Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House of the Hinky Built podcast. As always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, and today I'll be joined by Jake Fisher, who does some work at Bleacher Report. He wrote a book, uh, and so we will okay, I'll just give the name of that book. I'm butchering this already. Um, he wrote Built to Lose, I believe. Let me get this correct. Apologies. Yeah, he wrote Built to Lose. You can check that out on Amazon. Uh, and so we will be talking about some free agency stuff, talking about Sixers angles, We'll talk some uh, some Kyle Lowry news, um, just kind of how that went down going to Miami. If there's any you know, real uh, talks about him going to my uh, to Philadelphia as well, um, so we'll just kind of break down some of the relevant stuff. We'll have Jake on. He's joining the stage now. Um, as always, uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Means a ton to me. Really enjoying this, but always open to more more listeners, more feedback, all that. But Jake is here. We'll uh, we'll get going. Hey Jake, how are you doing today? Doing well, man. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm doing pretty well too. If you hear any background noise, it's because it is quite warm in my apartment, so I have the patio door open, but it's right off a busy street. So <laughs> sometimes, <you> sometimes <laughs> it gets a little uh, loud. But uh, excited to talk about some Sixers uh, stuff. I know it's been a busy. I feel like every every other day I'm waking up and you were you're putting on a new fridge <laughs> primer thing over the bleacher report. So uh, thank you, man. Hope- thank you. Hopefully it's winding down a little bit. I know it's still kind of in the thick of it, but a little, little easier once all the big names or all the big signings kind of come together, I imagine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it definitely <laughs> sounded like things were going to fly quick the first you know, night because obviously, uh, what can I say publicly here? You know, conversations have been ongoing for a while, so really <laughs> wanted to overload the preview stuff and then mm-hmm. kind of put my feet up and then – Watch everything kind of unfold in real time. But yeah, I'm kind of poking around on the Dennis Schroeder situation still and the Spencer Dinwiddie stuff. I mean, the point guard carousel is kind of, I think, uh, with, you know, roping back into Philly with Kyle Larry and the Ben Simmons, you know, trade conversation. That's been, I think, the, the, the number one undercurrent of this free agency, right? So that's kind of where my thoughts have been trained. Yeah, and, and, and touching on Larry, I, I don't know if necessarily you were the one that was reporting the connection to the Sixers and, and when obviously he's going to Miami, but I'm curious, like, do you know anything about that? Like, was, was there any actual kind of tangible ground made in terms of maybe Lowry going to the Sixers? Was it more of just, you know, kind of the connection to Daryl Morey and the fact that he's from Philadelphia? Like what, what was the status there? Because obviously they were, they were connected at the trade deadline. Um, but yeah. as you know, free agency really started to, you know, approach its opening, uh, you know, Adrian Wojnarowski was all over, you know, the stuff mm-hmm. with the heat. So, was there anything legit? Like, was there any actual like chance that he was going to be a sixer, or was it more just some of the connections already in place there? No, I think there was a real chance. Just like the connections with Jimmy Butler played a huge factor in in Kyle going to Miami. Um, I think at the end of the day, um, Miami brought an opportunity where I mean, you look at the sixer situation right now. Um, you know, it's 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 obviously bullish. You know, people. I mean, when you have Joel Embiid as your centerpiece and you've got other young talent and picks at play, like, yeah, that's 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 a team that clearly, obviously, you know, was the number one seed in the East last year. But if you take, mm-hmm. you know, the Ben Simmons faction off of that and also, like, there was so many complications, I think, with the trade situation there where, I mean, for the last week or so, I think the talks between Toronto and Philly have been very cluttered by, you know, offers that were not really – you know, going to be entertained by the other side, let's say, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, someone just called me. Um, 
<laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, for Kyle wanted, from what I was told from talking to people who talked to Kyle, um, you know, that he wanted to get this decision done quickly and the heat seemed to have moved along pretty fast. And, you know, he obviously had a, a big interest and desire to get there and they made it, they made it happen. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to put any words in your mouth or anything like that, but is, is, it, is it fair to say that maybe part of the reason the Sixers weren't a bigger player in this is because of the uncertainty around the Ben Simmons situation and how that, how their core might kind of look. And there was a little more stability with Miami side of things and, and how Kyle felt like he might fit in, in that situation compared to maybe Philly where it's a little more unknown as moving parts there. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Simmons would, it sounds like would have absolutely gone back to, to Toronto in the sign trade. That, that's what I, mm-hmm. I truly believe. Um, so, I mean, from there, you know, clearly Philadelphia thinks they're operating from a position of strength here and they, they wanted more assets back from, in addition to Kyle Lowry from everything I was told. So mm-hmm. obviously that probably would have been something that Toronto looking around the board, you know, for Kyle Lowry to go to Philly or Miami, this is why I think, the, the sign-and-trade, and I wrote about this a couple weeks ago back at Bleacher Report, that, that this was going to be the summer in sign-and-trade, and I think it's compelling because it, 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 just by design, the mechanism of the, of the CBA, you know, it, it requires all three parties to, to agree. It requires the player, it requires in both teams. So, And in some cases with these double sign-and-trade scenarios, like what Chicago and San Antonio are trying to do right now with DeMar and Larry Marketing, you know, it takes a lot of parties to cooperate. Same with Washington, Spencer Dinwiddie. So Toronto had a big play here. And I think, you know, them having to potentially give up something to lose Kyle Lowry and get Ben Simmons, you know, there, there was a much more bigger hill to climb on um, than I think it would have been to, to make Miami, you know, happen as quickly as it did. Mm-hmm. And are you, are you able to maybe at all, you know, report on what, what else, you know, maybe the Sixers were eyeing to get back for Ben Simmons any guys there were, you know, any picks, things like that, that, you know, maybe they wanted in addition to, to Kyle Lowry. And understandably so, because, you know, it's signing trades obviously happen, but, you know, trading a guy with four years left for a, you know, pending free agent isn't necessarily how that sort of value, <laughs> value, uh, value, or just value typically works uh, there. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to be more careful with what I say on these uh, open rooms because, I, I really am being more empathetic to Brian Windhorst about his you know, beef with aggregators. So I want to be very clear in saying this. This is just, you know, this is not saying this is a formal offer, but from conversations I've had around the league, I mean, I, I would expect and suspect, and I have it pretty solid that, you know, Daryl and Philly was absolutely asking for the number four pick back in return. I mean, that's why these conversations were happening before the draft too, right? I mean, this kind of makes common sense. The number four pick was a pretty big, you know, value add at this point in, uh, in, in where the league is right right now. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, number four clearly was something that Philadelphia was trying to get back. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the, what you're reporting, if there's anything I ask that you don't want to be misconstrued by all means, we can, we can work around it, but I totally get that sort of thing. I'm kind of um, talking to people in the room not going and tweeting, you know, that I said the Psy absolutely took, you know, whatever, whatever. That happened with Toronto yesterday. So <laughs> I'm okay. just trying to I'm just trying yeah. to make sure I don't say anything or have something attributed back to me that makes anybody mad. That's all I'm really concerned yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so for anyone listening, uh, let's let's make sure to respect Jake's wishes there and and listen to what he's saying precisely and not not misconstrue anything before it gets blown up a portion. But um similar to that, like was did did it all you know 
obviously Ben Simmons is a different player than Scotty Barnes, but similar, in, broadly speaking, kind of similar idea about a defensive-minded guy who can move well, but it struggles to shoot. Um, did their, did Toronto's selection of Scotty at all kind of influence how the next four or five, six days negotiations went between those two teams? If they, if they transpire at all between, you know, the draft and the start of free agency or between, or at least before Kyle, um, you know, decided to, to go to Miami and that sign and trade kind of got off the ground. I mean, the, the week before the draft, I mean, that Sunday, I'm trying to remember because all the days have blown by. Yeah. The Sunday before the draft. There's a lot of talk flying around about um, you know, Toronto and Ben Simmons being – or this Toronto being the team that was having the most frequent Ben Simmons conversations. So, yeah, I do, I do think the Kyle Lowry situation was in play. I mean, obviously, tampering you know, rules are tricky here, but, I mean, at a certain point, they were even – the other thing I try to always talk about is – you know, teams are always in conversation with each other, right? And, you know, the NBA calendar is – you know, it has its cycles and it has its flows, right? There's the trigger dates where, like, in December 15th where, you know, deals become available now and the trade deadline and guarantee dates and stuff like that where there are always opportunities for these teams. They're touch points for conversations. And you can, you know, that, that's why I think the Kemba and Al Horford trade, for example, came together so quickly when it did. You know, it didn't really come together quickly. I am, you know, pretty positive that, they, Boston and Oklahoma City discussed the framework of that deal back at the trade deadline. And then when there finally is an opportunity to come back to the table, you know, you, you build off of that framework and sometimes it, it happens more quickly than others. And sometimes the trade talk still falls apart like it did, obviously, with Ben and uh, Kyle in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And just uh, for anyone who's listening to the room, maybe not following things, uh, Malik Monk has agreed to a deal with the Lakers. We're just going to give an update on that. Um but on the Ben Simmons front, more broadly, independent of Toronto, is there anything else you've heard, you know, kind of on those negotiations, things that have happened there that you're able to report? Because um, obviously it seems like the Toronto side is – I mean, or I guess also, like, is, is the Toronto thing more of a – like, is it a, is it a moot point now because of the fact that Kyle is headed to Toronto? But just broadly, do you have any updates on the Ben Simmons stuff? I know you've been fairly in, you know, in touch with, with, that, with that side of things. Yeah, no, I, there really hasn't been anything too loud of late. I, I mean, Toronto's been quiet, honestly. Uh, I mean, from not saying definitively. Ooh, sorry about that. My phone just dropped. Um, but All good. No, I think uh, I haven't heard much about Toronto since, you know, the coming, you know, it was all about Kyle Lowry. And then the really, I mean, Raptors fans, I, I know right now, are definitely kind of clamoring for more information and wanting to know what the plan is, similar to Sixers fans, but I haven't heard much about either. Yeah, um, and for the Sixers specifically, is how, if at all, is the uncertainty surrounding Ben affecting kind of their ability to either sign some guys? I know they don't have a ton of mechanisms to improve him, and they have, you know, they have Danny Green's bird rights. We'll talk about that a little later. Um, yeah. They have you know, they have a tax permit mid level. Like how it all because I talked about this. I had Adam Aronson on. We kind of did a pre agency primer, um, just talking about that. My, you know, we had a great question from someone who asked like if that would affect things. So I'm wondering, do you have any kind of intel there about how you know the uncertainty surrounding a, a very key player is affecting both the front office decision making and maybe guys who are a little more hesitant to commit to a team where their role might be in flux. You know. I haven't heard that definitively, and I'm sure it's played a factor. I'm sure it is just based off of how the market works. I mean, an agent's job is to try and put their player in a situation where they can typically make the most money. 
and secondarily where they can put them in a situation to play, you know, the most minutes in the best role possible, which will help them make more money on the next contract, right? So, I mean, if you don't even know who's going to be, you know, the main facilitator of the offense of the team you're trying to play for, yeah, I think that would play an impact. But at the same time, you know, they're going to they're going to either have Ben, which, you know, again, continues to seem unlikely, or they're going to move Ben most likely for someone who's going to, you know, have the ball in their hands a lot too. And if that's the case, you know, I don't think it really would change their role that much. Like Philly's looking on the margins right now, right? They're looking for like three and D shooters and backup bigs. Like I think that's something that, you know, teams are kind of just looking for. Oh, players are kind of just looking for, you know, money, role, situation, weather, city, whatever, more so than like, I mean, uh, like this player exactly at that stage. I think they're all kind of just trying to find the best spot for them to maximize earning potential and playing time. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially because when you're when you're kind of a guy who the Sixers might be interested in, you're probably not getting, I mean, like, you're getting financial security to an extent because, I mean, we're talking about millions of dollars, but it's not the same level as if you're a, you're a guy who's going to a place where you're signing 20-plus million dollar a year deal where, like, you, you need, like, role is so important and conduct so important, and if you don't have clarity on those things, you're probably maybe a little less enthused you and your agent in terms of kind of that fit. So um, you mentioned the archetypes the Sixers are, are looking for, 3 and D wings, you know, backup big men, kind of things we already knew. But are there any names that you've heard linked to the Sixers, anything in there? Because they've been pretty quiet beyond I me. Mean, they signed on their drum on this morning. Um, yeah. They re-signed Furcon yesterday. Is there anyone that you've heard is maybe linked to them for to use as a minimum or on the, the taxpayer mid-level? Because they'd still have the the, mid, the taxpayer mid-level. And, and, and related to that, is there any, like, I guess, because I'm curious, because it could be connected they they cut George Hill yesterday. It was the last that they could do it before his, his deal was guaranteed, fully guaranteed. Was that just a from your from your understanding? Was that was that tied to anything they're trying to do in free agency? Was there a precursor there, or was it just a, a money saving move because he was I think he was guaranteed ten million if they kept him, but I think it ended up being one point two seven million. So kind of a lot thrown at you, but just like what have you heard about maybe who's tied to them at all, and if, yeah. does the George Hill move you know play into that at all? No, with George Hill, I, I definitely think it's twofold, right? Like if he was worth that money and was projecting to be someone on that money, like they would have kept him, right? I think mm-hmm. moving him signals that obviously, you know, his, his success in Philadelphia, I think was, was less than what that front office and George Hill himself was hoping it would be when they acquired him. Um, you know, from there, yeah, I, the Drummond thing definitely took me a little bit by surprise. I thought, uh, you know, obviously with the history between him and Joel, I was an interesting fit. But I know I don't know if they're done necessarily. I haven't talked to anybody with the Sixers today. Um, but I did hear earlier today, actually, that Tony Bradley was kind of open to uh, a reunion of sorts with the team that uh, you know loved him for a little bit. Um, you know, Malik Monk was someone I thought I was told to keep an eye on with Philly because hmm. apparently the the Elton Brand you know faction, the older school faction of Philly's front office, not older school, but you know what I mean, the guys who were kind of there before Daryl and there for a bit. You know, I heard they liked him a lot back in that draft. What was it, 2018? They're all starting to blend together now. 17, I think. I think he was the same draft as, as Tatum and Fultz and what? Yeah, no, I think okay. someone 17. can correct us if we're off, but yeah, 2017, yeah, I believe. One of those two drafts. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, I literally used to think, how could someone ever forget what year someone got drafted? And now it's like, <laughs> I'm 27 and I've been doing this for eight years and every year blending together. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, obviously going out, going to L.A. is something a lot of dudes want to do. So it makes sense he went to the Lakers. So other than that, it's been, 
you know, the names I've heard to keep an eye on have not really, you know, popped up over there. The Danny Green situation, um, he could, I mean, I'm sure he could end up back there, but from what I was told from several people and people who would have knowledge, you know, um, it doesn't sound like that is Danny's priority right now. So, yeah, the Sixers could potentially get something back for him in a sign-in tree, which I wrote about, I think, in that sign-trade story a couple weeks ago, too. So that's another opportunity to add pieces back in return. But right now, outside of that, it, it has indeed been quiet behind the scenes on Philly, just like it has been, you know, above the surface. Yeah, and just following up on the Danny Green uh, stuff, Harrison Sanford earlier today, reporter tweeted, Danny Green has spoken with the Sixers over the past 24 hours multiple times to sign nowhere close to a deal. Representatives from Milwaukee, Boston, Chicago, and New Orleans are among some of the teams that have reached out. Um, are, there, are there any other suitors that you think you have our potential Danny Green landing spots? And do you think it's more likely that he just leaves for nothing or the sign and trace facility where the Sixers get someone back? Like among kind of the three options, what, based on what you've heard, do you think it's what's kind of most likely, and, you know, he stays, he returns, he leaves for nothing or he's a, he's a sign and trade guy. If you're able to, you know, kind of rank those things without maybe speculating on anything. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't see that report. Can you say those teams again to me? Yeah. Um, so Harrison Sanford reported that uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Chicago, and New Orleans are among some of the teams that have reached Milwaukee, out to Danny Green. Chicago and New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, and the Lakers certainly would love to have him back. I think, you know, there's mutual interest with the Heat if he's willing to, you know, sacrifice a bit of money. But it doesn't seem like that's been the case for a lot of people right now. You know, a lot of people thought Rudy Gay – was going to do what Carmelo did and take the minimum and go to the Lakers. And he obviously got a nice, a nicer payday with Utah. And I think the Jazz clearly showed him they're going to, from what I was told today, that, you know, they showed him he's going to play a big role and play some small ball five, maybe even, you know, pair with Rudy Gobert in the front court. They're excited about that. Um, so with Danny, you know, could at this point, it doesn't sound like he has interest, though. I think he's more of a Rudy Gay in that regard than a Carmelo in terms of looking for more money and bigger role rather than being like a eighth, ninth man shooter type guy. Yeah. And I think, and Danny, obviously I think he's earned that. He was, he was a starting caliber player last year on a very good team. Obviously he wasn't able to finish the season out because of an unfortunate calf strain. Um, and there are some, you know, that he's had a couple of lower body injuries the last couple of years that have affected him in the playoffs, but um, still clearly, you know, a good defender, a guy who can knock down threes. So uh, I t- I, he, he rightfully should be, you know, advocating for more than just the vet minimum. He's a starting starting caliber, or at least a very key rotation player on a, on a high-end team. So, yeah. um, I, Correct me if I'm wrong, I think the Lakers still have their mid-level, so they could mm-hmm. give that to him. Um, that's possible. Um, but, yeah, I definitely know they're hoping he would come on the minimum. Everyone yeah, loves it, to have Danny McGreen on the minimum, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a guy who can give you – I mean, a guy who can, at the worst, be your eighth or ninth man. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a worthwhile thing. I and mean, just a guy who, you know – I mean, I don't ever want to bring up the intangibles too much of the cliches, but I mean, just a guy who seems to get along well in every locker room he's been a part of, been a part of three different title teams. Um, there's value, there's value in guys that you know are going to be, you know, worthwhile parts of a championship run, and, and Danny yeah, is totally. obviously that guy. So, um, so, so yeah, on three on three different teams, right? So uh, not just like the product of a certain superstar or you know playing playing in a certain system or franchise. So. Um, but from from the sounds of it, you the way you're kind of you know framing it, is it is it fair that like it's, it's leaning toward him not being in a Sixers uniform next year based on what you've heard? Yes, yeah, okay. I, I, yeah. I don't think he's like running out of Philadelphia as soon as possible, but 
yeah, I, I do think the way it's been communicated to me, his preference would be to play somewhere else. Are there any, te- you know, you mentioned the sign-in trade. Um, are there any teams that you've heard that maybe might be, you know, a viable poten- a viable option for that for the Sixers? And what, and any framework there? Or is it more just kind of a general idea that a sign-in trade might might behoove part, both parties, one for the Sixers to get something back, and then maybe a team that doesn't have the means to sign Danny for what he's asking, yeah. but he's interested in going there? Well, just like we said with, um, with Kyle Lowry, you know, if that player wants to go to a team – who wants to give him a little bit more money than, you know, a competitor, for example, in, in Danny Green's case, for everything we just said, you know, he'd probably be someone that a lot of teams might, you know, get into a little bit of a bidding war for, right? So mm-hmm. if that's the situation, you know, Philly could, I mean, they could absolutely, and I'm sure those conversations that, again, what I'm saying, I'm sure, like, I'm not reporting this definitively happened, but just based off of knowledge of how the league works and conversations with people, like, I'm sure in those conversations with Danny, you know, Daryl's asking who those teams are, and then they're going to those teams and saying, you know, we'd be interested in this, 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 and this. You know, that, that's how a lot of trades get done. Like, if you want to mm-hmm. go back to the Hinky era, I know it's obviously, you know, homage to the title of this pod. You know, like, <laughs> Sasha and Gupta, that, that was told to me basically that was what his job kind of was. Like, he would literally just spend a lot of time, and obviously he invented the trade machine at ESPN, he just spent time figuring out, like hearing rumors about what the, was going on in the league, and then using, you know, a, a cap calculator or whatever these guys use. Everyone's different, and um, just kind of figuring out ways the Philly could meander in there and extract some value out. So I'm sure the Sixers are trying to look at Danny Green's list if they don't think he's going back, and trying to see what they could also benefit from that situation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, there's so many little nuances of trades and free agency and all that that I think aren't always, you know, public knowledge. But with the Danny situation, from what you've heard or been told, is it is it is it a is there a different is there a, a too large of a gap in terms of what the Sixers are offering and what Danny wants to bridge, or is it is it is it more of he just he maybe wants to go somewhere else where he likes his role better? Like, do you know at all maybe where the breakdowns are happening? Because obviously the Sixers, like, if he wants to come back, they can. They can offer him as much as he, he asked for. You know, they can offer him up to twenty six point two five million with the bird yeah. rights there. Um, so where, where, if you know, maybe is the, is the breakdown occurring between those two sides? Um, I, I don't know how much I want to say about that. Um, the person I've been talking to about that situation has the most has basically said to not really uh, <laughs> say too much, but I, I think it's you know. The mar- I mean, let's just say what he said about Philly fans, I don't think is, you know, I mean, he, he, Danny and J.J. Redick and Duncan Robinson and all these guys who were you know, having podcasts and doing media and stuff, like, they understand what they're doing. And I think, you know, the, re- read between the lines there, I guess, is, well, I can really, that, that's like, you know, he wouldn't have said that if he loved uh, the market and also, you know, the overall situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, obviously that's that's a huge a huge thing for the Sixers. I mean, he was a starting caliber player, um, so him not coming back, uh, I think, is clearly going to affect them. Um, at the same time, not that it's like, not that I'm trying to spin it positively, but for anyone listening, uh, the fact that they cut George Hill, if Danny Green does walk, um, that would open up the full mid level exception, which elevates them from having about five point nine million to offer uh, with the taxpayer to the full mid level to nine point five, which is a pretty substantial increase there. Um, obviously, there aren't a ton of guys left who maybe are, are worth that, um, or not worth, but like could approximate the value of someone who makes that currently. 
Um, and so, so that's that's maybe where some of the the shortcoming plan, but just wanted to point that out. He does leave it opens up a little more cap space for them. Um, on on the Furcon front, obviously, he, you know, he resigned three years, fifteen million. Do you know of any who else was? You know, I think the Cavs were linked to him by someone. I can't yes. recall who. Yeah, um, I, I, else? I, heard, I had heard Cleveland definitely, mm-hmm. um, but no, there there was definitely a belief around the league that Furcon was going back to Philadelphia. Uh, that's that's something I can say pretty confidently. I don't I don't think anybody who was interested in Furcon really thought they had a shot. Yeah, and I mean that's and I know he he spoke either. I don't think it was actually. I think it was in the playoffs. He spoke about the fact that he really likes Philly now, which is a huge, huge transition from early in the second year when he requested a trade, and then he he brought it up in his exit interview. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 mean, I didn't have any sourcing on it, but just just given my media interactions with with Furcon and how the way he talked about the team after not necessarily being pl- not really enjoying the situation early in his career, I, think I was I would be surprised if it didn't come back. And at that price, I think it's worth a while. Guy who's gotten better, six seven shooter, can provide value there. Um, yeah, he's, nice, he's, nice he's, a, he's a pet favorite of the coaching staff too. I think everyone loves that guy. They, 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 he, he's a worker, and they always like want to point out when he goes off. You know, I mean, he's also like a huge swing piece for that team, right? Like when mm-hmm. he's on and hot. I mean, we saw it in what was it, Game Three, Game Four against Atlanta. Like when he gets, yeah, hot, one, one of those two that they won. Yeah, when he gets hot, it adds a whole dimension to their team, right? So. He's, I mean, for better or worse, he's a huge part of the ceiling of that offense, right? Yeah, he hits a couple of shots. He gets a little more confident. He puts the ball on the deck, makes a nice lob or a skip pass or something, and yeah. he has a little more value in just the, the spot-up shooting or, you know, the, the occasional pump fake into three shots, which uh, he'll have to he'll have to adjust to that now with the uh, with the new rules there. He's not obviously the leading guy with the, with the amendment there to the, the fouls, but uh, he is a guy who likes to pump fake and lean in, so he'll have to adjust to that, but... <laughs> Um, re, you know, revolving, and I don't, I don't know, I don't know how much I'm trying to see. There was a report, and I don't know how substantiated it was. I believe, trying to, uh, Mitch Lawrence, um, who covers the NBA for Sirius XM, reported a few days ago that the Sixers are, you know, potentially, you know, shopping Tobias Harris. Um, I don't know how substantiated that report was. I am curious if there's anything you can speak on. Do you know anything about? Kind of, you know, obviously that Simmons has been the headliner, but um, anything you know about that? Like, is, is there anything you can you can offer there? So, I think you know, there's a big difference between shopping and open to hearing offers and discussing, right? So, I mean, I made a lot of waves with Thunder fans uh, last week, you know, and there's still I was in you know in my DMs today with somebody trying to explain the situation to them. Again, huge difference between shopping and willing to discuss and all that type of stuff. But yeah, I think. You know, again, a lot of this is just connecting dots and piecing together intel. And I think there's I, – I, I would be surprised if Darren Moore was telling teams on trade calls Tobias Harris is untouchable, right? I mean, it's not to say that he's trying to move him and that they're absolutely determined to unload his salary and all that type of stuff. No. But he has a huge number that is limited, as, as good as he is. You know, if you have somebody on your books at $30 million – that is going to put you in a situation where if you want to, let's say, go after Kyle Lowry, you can only acquire him via sign and trade. So mm-hmm. I think with that regard, like, yeah, you're always gonna he's always gonna be trying. I mean, Seth Curry's name is a name that came up at times this summer as being, you know, quote unquote available. That's not to say they were trying to trade him, but mm-hmm. you know, Seth Curry because Seth Curry is of course on 
I think one of the best value deals in the entire league. So yeah. is that something Philly is going to just willingly move and be shopping around? No, but with, you know, Seth Curry is one of your starters or four starters, you know, mm-hmm. ideally, you know, you're looking to push this team ultimately into the upper echelon again, where Joel Embiid has a shot at winning a championship. So in that regard, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure they're open to at least listening on frameworks that would have included the bias, but shopping him. No, I don't believe that. Okay. Yeah, just just and that's that's you know I think the language here is important. Mitch Lawrence, you shopping, um, that wasn't that wasn't my language. Not that you were saying otherwise. But obviously, language is quite important. There's there's a clear difference as a front office between you know being receptive to what maybe other teams are, are offering for a guy and actively saying can we get player X and pick Y for our yeah. guy. There's a, there's a clear difference there in in terms of how how that stuff goes down in league circles. Um, but yeah, and I, yeah, I think I, like, I would be surprised if Seth Curry was moved. Um, but I, but I understand being open to, you know, I think the only guy that's untouchable is Joel Embiid, despite how good of a player Seth Curry is, especially compared to, you know, the, the money he makes, um, uh, just the way he kind of, and I wouldn't say he broke out here in, in, in Philly, but the way his playoff breakout, uh, I think obviously is, you know, the hope would be you can build off of that. Not, not to the same level of shooting numbers because those were, you know, otherworldly, but build on it to an extent and kind of maybe you expand what you can do with the ball in his hands there. Um, I, I am curious though, Jake, like, you know, is there, is there anything else that like you, you can report that maybe pertains to Sixers at all? I know you've been on the Bradley Beal front. That's been kind of quiet as of late, like any other things around the league that you think involve the Sixers, either it could be, you know, conference rivals, you know, eyeing a guy, whether it be a trade or you know, on the free age market moving forward here. Um, it could be the Bradley Beal stuff, the stuff in Portland, anything else that you think is kind of relevant that you can report that, you know, involves the Sixers in, in one way or another. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote this previously, and I've said this time and again. And I think the other, you know, big anvil hanging over the the Simmons trade talk conversations, if you will, is the thought that Damian Lillard, you know, could possibly request a trade. And I'm not saying he will. I'm, I, at this mm-hmm. point, you know, he has not. And you know, re-signing Norm Powell was very big for for uh, Portland. I think Norm Powell knew that, and I think that played a big factor in Norm Powell getting five years, ninety, you know, fully guaranteed. Um, but yeah. also, I mean, I played a huge, huge role in solidifying uh, a roster around Damian Lillard. But at the same time, like, if you're Daryl Morey in the Philadelphia 76ers and you were to trade Ben Simmons away, you know, for any of the rumored packages out there, even, like, some crazy thing he offered at Golden State and he took it. You know, let's say they got four first-round picks back and Andrew Wiggins and Kaminga and Jonathan Wiseman and Moody. Like, then Damian Lillard becomes available, you know, I think that's difficult. I think that's a tough pill to swallow. So that's mm-hmm. that's also the, the context here. And, you know, the final for the Olympics is, I believe, on Friday, Sunday, Saturday, like this weekend. So by the time mm-hmm. we're in Summer League and everyone's in Vegas congregated there, <laughs> you know, there could be an opportunity where – where that happens. I think that's just something that, you know, is is the ultimate North star with these Simmons talks. And it's something that won't go away until, you know, Damian Lillard announces or, you know, the Blazers announce or it's reported or, you know, however you want to go about it, that he's sticking around there for, for at least a little while. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think, you know, you mentioned kind of the Las Vegas thing. Yeah. I mean, everyone's in one place, not that people can't, they can't build text and call, um, but it still is a little different, I think, with negotiations and how things go down when you can see each other face to face and all that. Um, with you know, and I think all that all that with the Blazers makes sense. I like I don't expect some 
official decree on the Dame Lillard stuff. I think it, uh, to me, it seems pretty fluid. Um, he's been Dame's been outspoken about where he stands on things and what he wants to, how he wants to approach this entire situation. Um, but with the Bradley Beal stuff, I know Sean Strania came out last week, I think on the day of the draft, if I recall, um, that he, is, he has no plans to uh, request a trade at this moment. Is there anything you can add on that front? Like where, what's, from your vantage point, what's kind of the mindset for Beal and, and the people, you know, close to him and who help him make decisions and whatnot? Yeah. And, you know, some people have kind of given me some flack for my reporting on that, but, you know, I, I wrote when I first broke that news that Bradley Beal was considering a trade largely because he knew Russell Westbrook was considering a trade, and Russell Westbrook did request a trade. That is how he got to Los Angeles. He went to the front office and said, I want to go to the Lakers, mm-hmm. and here we are. So, you know, I do I do think, though, that, you know, at this point, we're talking to people around the situation. You know, I, again, Bradley Beal never did request a trade. He was only considering it. And was, you know, but it was described to me as considering it then more than ever. But as we stand today, I mean, they brought back KCP in that deal. They're closing in on Spencer Dinwiddie. It's going to take a lot of cap gymnastics to do that. Um, but, um, sorry, it's got a text. Um, no worries. It's going to take a lot of cap gymnastics to do that. Um, so that's why I think that deal has been paused. And, you know, I just reported. A little bit ago that um, the Wizards are, you know, at this point, they're, they're sending around this offer of Chandler Hutchinson and two second-round picks to try to set some salary. You know, by all accounts, Brooklyn is being, you know, pretty stingy here. And, you know, the, the sign-and-trade that would need to be done to send something back to Brooklyn and the, the matching salaries at hand. Um, so that's going to take a bit of time, but... Other than that, yeah, we're, we're we're kind of just in a in a bit of a holding pattern here with with terms of like major stars and Bradley Beal. I think he is going to at this point all indications are stick around and sign a supermax next summer. But then we could be right back in the situation all over again at a certain point. Yeah, yeah, I think I think if there's anything we learned in the last few years, it's like a, a counter extension or a new contract for a superstar. Maybe as people want to ask out or is rumored to ask out, doesn't always mean that those trucks end. I mean, guys, I mean, Damian Lillard has four years left and he, and there's, you know, we're talking about him potentially asking out. So, um, it's one of those things where I don't think it by any means is a, it ends the conversation around those things. Um, if, if money matters, which and it's not to call players greedy or whatever, money matters to a lot of people. This is a business. If money mm-hmm. matters, it makes the most sense for anybody to take the supermax and then request the trade afterward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, just with you mentioned the Dinwiddie stuff, like, do you know at all? Like, I'm just curious. You know, like, do you know? Like, is there is there a relationship between Beal and Dinwiddie? Like, does he does Beal know? Does Beal have, have you heard any thoughts about what Beal thinks of this sign? Like, is it does he like? I don't know. I'm just curious about kind of how he views that because that's a I mean, that's a big deal. Dinwiddie was one of the, the preeminent guys on the market this year. Like, what? How does that factor in at all to the Beal situation? And maybe have you heard anything about how he views that that move? I think. Uh... I think uh, I think he's on board. I mean, again, I don't want to speak mm-hmm. for Bradley Beal, but by all yeah, accounts, from talking to people on the situation, they seem very energized by the idea of playing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I think it's a good fit. 
Um, like I, 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 I tweeted yesterday. I think there's a, there's at least a chance maybe he adds a little more value next season than than Russ does. And I, I got I got lambasted for it. I understand Russ has a lot of hardened supporters, so probably should have known the, the cage I was uh, poking there. Um, but yeah, Dinwiddie is really good, and I, I think you know I don't think all of a sudden it makes the Wizards a you know, uh, an incredible team, but I think, you know, and I don't want to speak for Beal either, but from my vantage point, if I'm as good as Beal is, and I see it my front office, you know, try and make a big move like that and try and do all these different things, like you mentioned, the sign and trade and try and offload salary or, pl- or players on, you know, some salaries, um, then I would at least be a little little more energized and feel like they're valuing my prime. Um, you know, it's not me saying that's what, how Beal feels, that's just, you know, how I would, if I, how I would feel if I were someone of, of Beal's stature in my profession, uh, which of course I am not. Um, but yeah, Jake, I, I appreciate all all your insights. Is there anything else that you you feel comfortable reporting that it all you know that could be about the Sixers' free agency plans, about the Drummond stuff, um, or anything related to the Sixers that you think is is relevant right now? I think the Danny Green sign trade is the one I'll, I'll keep my eye on the most because um, again, I, I don't really expect him to be back there. He could, he totally could, um, but it just seems like there's momentum pushing him out of Philadelphia. And from there, you know, we've already seen it with Larry and, uh, and um, Lonzo and Dinwiddie is going to be added in by a sign and trade. And if I'm getting others, you know, I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, even like the DeMar things, the Clippers and Chicago, like their sign and trade is, is, is alive and well. So I think that's something to keep an eye on with Philly here. And, um, you know, that's really about it. I, I mean, we know who, the, the general makeup of people they're trying to get. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, when that Ben Simmons domino is going to fall. I wonder if there is a possibility he could go back to training camp and you know they, they run this thing back and see what happens. You know, it would seem to be pretty awkward. Um, I, I believe he wants to be traded. I, I, I believe he, um, he like, I don't know. I, I, I just think. It, by by taking the temperature of that whole situation, it doesn't make any sense for him to go back there. But of course, you know, if they can't find a suitable trade, you know, it's, it, it does seem possible at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and when you say you kind of you believe he wants to be traded, is that is that based on things you've heard or the piecing together yes. things? Or okay, and it's just it's, it's one of those things where like based on how everything's unfolded the last six weeks, um, that's that. So you're not you're not reporting. That he's like asking for a trade or asking to come out. You're just based on things you've heard. That's kind of the you're piecing together things. Is that just so I'm trying to trying to make sure you're not people aren't aggregating you incorrectly and whatnot. Yeah, um, okay. you know, I appreciate it, man. And uh, thanks for giving the platform. And uh, you know, not to be that guy, but for anybody listening who's <laughs> been following along this this summer, you know, I talked to over 300 people for my book to bring a lot of transactional details, some other human interest stories. If you're Sixers fans. I mean, the best one of the best anecdotes I think in the whole book is, you know, to, to, to show the kind of nurturing, you know, caretaker that Brett Brown was and is that you know made Philly want to hire him. He, you know, he was teaching Dell Demps, you know, a Spurs executive at the time, how to swim in the Spurs lap pool every day, <laughs> and you know, he organized this gigantic global, like, you know, all across the, the eastern side of the world. Uh, you know, basketball camp, which is how you even met RC in the first place to even get to San Antonio. There's other interesting details in that locker room, um, you know, all throughout the Hanky years. I talked to everyone from Brandon Davies to Spencer Hawes to Evan Turner to 
I, mean, I, I got 10 minutes one-on-one with Nerlens Noel that I never thought I was going to get. He sent some funny shit. So there's a lot in there that I'm sure you guys will all love. And I uh, would really appreciate if you if you got a copy. Yeah, absolutely. And by no means you have to apologize for plugging your stuff. I love when my guests do that. I appreciate <laughs> you taking the time. Uh, definitely go get, go check out that book. Uh, a lot of really insightful stuff. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to end, you know, just to end with the Ben Simmons stuff, I feel like uh, I've been doing this podcast now for a month and a half. I feel like 80% of my podcasts have involved Ben Simmons at some point, um, which I guess is what happens when you start a podcast right when Ben Simmons trade, trade stuff heats up. But, um, so you, you like, if you, like based on what you've heard, do you think it's still like, and I know because there's been so many reports coming out about like the Sixers are asking for this gigantic price package back, like based on what you've heard the reporting, but you know, the traction between certain partners, do you still think it's more likely he he starts the train, train, training camp somewhere else, or how do you how do you feel about that situation in terms of kind of what's what's going down there with Simmons? Yeah, like do you, like just based on kind of the, the track the traction maybe front six different office and other partners. Have yeah, had. like do you, do you think it's more likely he he still ends up elsewhere? Like or not thinks, but like based oh, on what yeah. you've heard, what what's your read on that? Yeah, I think I I think I was saying that this a bit before, you know. I, I, I do expect him still to be moved. Like, I, I think there's – just like, you know, in Boston, there was mutual interest between the players, between Brad, within the front office, between ownership, for Brad Stevens to no longer be the head coach of Boston. And something happened there, you know? And I think mm-hmm. right now there's interest between all the parties involved that for Ben Simmons to be traded away from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I, I am starting to warm to the idea that he could be right back there. I really do. I think it's possible. Mm-hmm. But at this point – um, I, I, I do expect the intent to still remain moving uh, moving Ben Simmons. Yeah, gotcha. Um, well, for everyone listening, I appreciate uh, you guys taking the time. Jake, I really appreciate you taking some time. I'm sure out of your, your busy schedule. Um, anything else yeah, you want to plug? Where can people find you? Where can people read your read your work about all the, the great uh, all the great fans reporting you've done over the last <laughs> month or three weeks or so? Thank you, man. Yeah, I write pretty much a column once a week at Bleach Report. Sometimes in, in the busier cycles, you know, drop one or two more. Um, but yeah, I try. I typically write Mondays, and you know, I'm talking to dozens of people in the league every week, trying to bring you guys intel. So that's that's kind of where everything's at. You can follow me on Twitter, Jake L. Fisher, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys following along. Awesome. Uh, for everyone listening, either as a podcast or a, a green room stream, I'll be back on Thursday. A little more uh, nuance about with the Sixers. Not nuance, I should say a little more specifics about the Sixers. Free agency moves uh, and whatnot. But yeah, appreciate it, Jake. Uh, for everyone listening, I'll be back on Thursday. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I'll talk to all of you again soon.